This message on uh, the sermon series entitled Redeeming Rituals, and today, of course, we're talking about baptism. Last week, we talked about Holy Communion. Today, it's Holy Baptism. And I love that scripture we've read about being one. You know, I can't, I can't imagine a better message for us to hear from God's holy word than that we are one. We are one family. That doesn't mean that we all think alike. That doesn't mean that we all uh, look alike. That doesn't mean that we all come from the same backgrounds. But it means that we're one. And baptism symbolizes that oneness. And just as Holy Communion, we gather around a table that we know is not our table, but the Lord's table and offered to us in the bread and the wine. So it is with baptism. We gather around the water and we're reminded that we are marked as children of God. Today, I want us to talk about baptism. And, and like I said, it, it, uh, it's been a while since I've spoken to a real live audience indoors. So um, I, I'm going to probably get all I can out of this one. In fact, I usually preach a three-point sermon. Today, I have ten points. But I think I can do it in 26 or 7 minutes. I do want to say that we, we gather here today uh, perhaps hungry for unity, right? Hungry for being one. We, we have so many divisions that we're so very much aware of. We have differing views, differing opinions, differing beliefs, differing interpretations of Scripture, and different political persuasions. And yet it's the church that makes the loud and clear and life-giving message that we are one in Christ. You know, oddly enough, there's nothing that has divided the church more over the years than the holy um, sacrament of baptism. So today we're going to talk about baptism. And like I said, I've got 10 questions for us today. And I do want us to understand that we as United Methodists, and this will come from our denominational perspective... But just as we gather around a table that we see as the Lord's table, and at that table all are welcome because God's grace extends to all the same way in baptism. When we gather around uh, the waters of baptism and when we receive members into this church, no matter what background they've come from, whether they were baptized as infants uh, or, or adults in our church or whether they were baptized in another denomination, if they were baptized as Christians then we accept that baptism from wherever um, they're coming from. Today, the first question I want us to ask is this. Why do Christians baptize? We baptize to join with Christ and be united with Christ. I, I love that scripture text that we just read, Tom read for us. There is one body and one spirit and one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and God and Father of all. Not two, not three, not a half dozen. There, there's one, one. So we belong to the Lord and we also belong to one another through him. You know, at baptism, whether we're talking about a baby or whether we're talking about an adult, we really do christen. And that's part of it. It's not the whole thing. Christen means name. 
and we are named at baptism. You, you notice we ask for the first and the middle name. And, and that first and middle name becomes your Christian name because we all have a same surname, and that surname is Christian. And, and therefore, we get that tradition of calling one another brother and sister because we all have the same last name, Christian. In, in some of our rural settings, that's still a common practice to talk about uh, Brother Stan and uh, Sister Tammy or whatever it may be. And, and that goes all the way back to an understanding, an ancient understanding of being baptized into one family. And the second question I'd like to ask this morning is, why does the church find itself divided over baptism? And perhaps we are divided because Jesus and the gospel writers just weren't very descriptive. They didn't worry about the water uh, like we worry about the water and also the details like we tend to be concerned about the details today. At least we all agree that the symbol of water is the symbol of new life and, and that water is that element in baptism that we all embrace. But the, the description of baptism, like what amount of water is proper or how the water is applied or when or at what age should the water be used for baptism? How much water was used or not used wasn't particularly important to the Lord or to the writers of the gospel. It seems that of late the church has discovered that we can only seriously accept our differences by finding a, a little humor in our rituals and in our doctrines and in our beliefs. Uh, there's a, a, a story about an old Presbyterian rural uh, pastor, uh, Cheryl, that, um, that I want to tell you about. He was preaching and he shouted, Come and join the army of the Lord. And there was one in the crowd who said, I've already joined. He uh, replied, Well, what congregation did you rejoin from? And he said, In the church of Christ where I was baptized by immersion, the only way to true baptism and salvation. And the preacher said, Why, child, you're not in the Lord's army. You're in the Lord's navy. <laughs> oh, that felt so good to hear some laughter. You can't imagine how humiliating it is to tell a joke that maybe is half funny and you're looking at yourself on a monitor about where Patty is and there's nothing. There's nothing. So you find yourself kind of laughing at yourself just so you'll have something, something. And, you know, West Texas, some of you are West Texans I see out there. A couple of years ago, I was in West Texas, and I heard a friend of mine who said about the drought they were experiencing that particular summer. And he said, it is so dry out here. The Baptists are sprinkling, the Methodists are using a damp cloth, and the Presbyterians are giving rain checks. <laughs> Come on, keep it up. You know, early on, the Universal Church adopted infant baptism as the mark of God's grace that is offered to us before we ever choose it. You know, that's a truth for little babies as well as it is adults, that, that even when we choose God, God's already beaten us to it. God's love is first. God's love precedes any response that we could make. And the Western church adopted the form of sprinkling as a primary mode of baptism. The Eastern Church baptizes infants. 
And, and it was not until the Reformed and Anabaptist traditions came around that immersion of adults became, um, rose again to the forefront as the way of baptism. You know, we understand, too, that the church universal has come to realize that it is our baptism in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, usually with that Trinitarian formula of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that centers us. The third question I'd like for us to deal with today is this. What is baptism to a united Methodist Christian? I want to say that to us, we focus on the God action that is specific and personal. An action by which the church claims that a particular child, no matter the age, a child of God, whether a few weeks old or 90 years old, is just that, a child of God, first loved by God as parent. You know, in the British Methodist tradition, tradition there's a ritual uh, that's used that says to the parents uh, of the one being baptized, you are come here to acknowledge that this, your child, belongs to God, to dedicate him or her to God in holy baptism and to receive her or him uh, again as, your, as from the hands of God to be trained as a disciple of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't you love that? We are all here from the hands of God. We are gifts from God to life. You're a gift and I'm a gift. You're far enough apart. Why don't you just look around you and say to your neighbor, you're a gift. See, we can do that in a socially distant, safe manner. You're a gift. A gift from the very hand of God. And we acknowledge that before uh, this baby or, or this youth or this adult um, ever chose God, that God had already chosen her or him. We belong to God and we've been dedicated to God through baptism. And it is in God that we, the congregation, we, the parents, we who surround this child or this youth or this adult with abiding love, with steadfast love, will nurture this person in the faith. And for a little baby, until that person can claim for herself or himself the love of God and the grace of God that is, that is saving. And four, how do we United Methodists baptize? We emphasize the three traditional modes of baptism. That is immersion, pouring, and aspersion or sprinkling. Whereas we United Methodists traditionally use the mode of baptism of sprinkling, and I, we have our little baptismal font over there. It's actually a pretty big baptismal font, but it's not big enough to get in. And, and so that's the way we normally baptize. But we also know that out in the garden, we have water that we can immerse in. We have water that's pouring over uh, the rocks and we have water that can be dipped out of that pool and sprinkled on the heads of those being baptized. It's a beautiful place to teach about baptism. 
You know, there are these three modes, immersion, pouring, and sprinkling. And together they make a beautiful statement about the Trinitarian God whom we worship. And that's what I want to teach on for just a moment. Number five, what does baptism by immersion mean? Immersion is this beautiful symbol of being buried in Christ and raised to new life, which is our redemption. We would all be hard-pressed to deny that the immersion of adult believers was the primary mode of baptism for those early believers, those early Christians who were coming to faith before the church started being persecuted greatly. They were coming to faith and they were baptized by immersion to symbolize being dead to self and raised to new life in Christ. The the crucifixion and death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus in new life. That was the symbol. All of us know the story in Acts of the Ethiopian eunuch, don't we? Uh, How he was in the chariot going back to Ethiopia. When Philip comes alongside of him and the the Ethiopian is reading from uh, a scroll of Isaiah. And and Philip inquires, do you know what you're reading? He said, how can I know if I don't understand? And so uh, Philip gets in the chariot and he explains the prophecy of Isaiah. And he explains it in such a way that he reveals the gospel in Jesus Christ. And he talks about baptism baptism and that Ethiopian eunuch says what's to prevent me from being baptized as they pass a pool of water we know the story and the scripture says they went down into the water now that's still not very descriptive is it they went down into the water You know, out in our Benton Garden, which is on the west side of our campus, we have a beautiful cascading pool there. Uh, The the Holy Spirit scripture of pouring water uh, cascades over into a pool at the bottom. And and at that pool at the bottom, uh, there is the Ethiopian eunuch in a statue. And he's motioning to the water and saying, what's to prevent me from being baptized? To Philip, who's also in a statue, talking to him there. We acknowledge that immersion is this traditional form of baptism that is very scriptural and it underscores who Jesus is as our Lord and Savior in whose name we are baptized. Well, what does baptism by pouring mean? Pouring water is a mode of, of baptism that we have coming to us out of, the, uh, out of Joel, the second chapter. Uh, the 28th verse, it's also, that same verse is also found in, in, in Luke's gospel. The verse says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. We also believe in the pouring of water as a symbol. The earliest symbol of baptism is the symbol of the shell. Did you know that? That's the earliest symbol. You'd think it'd be the cross, right? Uh, the, uh, the empty cross uh, representing death and resurrection all in one symbol. But the earliest form or symbol of baptism is the shell. The shell. You know, do you remember that television series? I, I forget exactly how many um, uh, features it was, but it was Jesus of Nazareth. It may have come out in the 70s. It was a long time ago. 
But I remember when it was coming out, it, it was said that this is, uh, this is the closest interpretation of the life of Jesus that you could possibly get. And, and so much scholarly background had gone into it, and we all were watching it, you know, to, to see the real story of Jesus in living color there in our homes with our families all around the television. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> it was a classic. And I remember particularly the night that Jesus was going to be baptized in Jesus of Nazareth. It may have been night two or night three, I don't remember. But I do remember that as Jesus was walking down into the Jordan River, and, and, and there John was, ready to baptize him, you could almost hear across the nation uh, the, the whispers, Here it comes, here it comes. We're going to see how Jesus was really baptized. He's going into the water, uh, yelled all of those who were in favor of immersion. And then all of a sudden, Jesus kneels down. Oh, here it comes. Here it comes. And I'll never forget, John the Baptist reached down in the Jordan River with a shell and poured water on Jesus' head. The pouring of water is probably the least used mode of baptism. So those who practice sprinkling as we do by norm, and those who practice immersion as other denominations do by norm, it was pointed out that the symbol of the shell is the earliest symbol of baptism. And perhaps pouring was a mode that was used in the baptism of Jesus. Who knows? If it mattered to Jesus, Jesus probably would have said something about the details, right? It just didn't. And it didn't to the early writers or they would have been more descriptive. It just didn't. And pouring symbolizes the person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So seven, what does baptism by sprinkling or aspersion really mean? Sprinkling symbolizes God, the God of creation that we know in Jesus Christ, who is the forgiving God, creating new life for us. In Ezekiel, the 36th chapter, 25th and 26th verses we read, I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. Isn't that beautiful? It's in keeping with the larger Christian practice that we find ourselves baptizing people of all ages, primarily sprinkling water on their heads, and, and baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit with the sprinkling especially symbolizing our Creator God who always is serving up forgiveness. Forgiveness. You know, I remember uh, one of you writing me a little email saying, you know, we need to get back into church as soon as we can because we need to hear a word of forgiveness. And it just reminded me, that's what we come to church for. That's why we take the Holy Communion meal. We should be knowing that God is serving up forgiveness. When, when we, we remember baptism, we, we should be celebrating that our God is a God of forgiveness. And sprinkling represents the cleansing element of God's grace. Oh, here's another funny story, so get ready to laugh out loud. There was a pro-sprinkling Christian who was making his case to an immersion Christian, immersion-only Christian, 
And so the Christian said, well, what if I was baptized up to my knees? Would that be good enough? And he said, no, not, not at all. Well, what about if I was baptized up to my waist? Would that do? No. What if I was baptized all the way up to my neck? Would that be enough? Not at all. What if I was baptized above my eyebrows? Would, would, would that be baptism? No. Well, what if I was baptized all the way to the top of my head? Would that be, that would be it. You'd be baptized. And the man said, well, that, that proves it. It's only the top of the head that matters. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't too funny. But anyway, <laughs> thanks for leading me on here. Number eight. Why do United Methodists baptize infants as Christianity spread um, to the Gentile world? Baptism became a mark of the household. Entire households or families were baptized. Lydia, the seller of purple, we remember that story in the book of Acts, don't we? The Philippian jailer was baptized with his whole household. The practice of baptizing infants started early, and it became the dominant practice of the church. You remember the story how Paul and Silas come up on these women who are, they're, uh, they're God-fearers, they're not Jews, they're worshiping there beside the running water, and, and Paul teaches them, and the next thing you know, Lydia is being baptized with her whole household which probably included um, adult children, maybe a husband, probably included um, little babies, maybe even slaves. Lydia and her whole household was baptized. And then Paul and Silas, they go up on the hill of Philippi and they get into trouble and they get thrown into prison. And the earthquake happens and their bonds are, 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 are loosened and they, and they and all the other... Um, prisoners are about to escape and the Philippian jailer he draws the sword and he's about to take his own life and he said what must I do to be saved and, 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 and Paul shares the gospel with him and he's baptized with his whole household so in the early Christian church when you were coming to faith you were coming to faith with, with your entire household you were one in the family and one in the family of Christ. That's why we as United Methodists believe in the... Oh, there's Claire Bear. Is Claire Bear on the screen? We'll put her up there. You know, right over here at this baptismal font, well, we baptized our, our grandbaby. And, and I remember um, the whole household came together. And, and, and the whole household of the church came together. And, and it was a special moment as we named her uh, Claire Marie. We didn't use the last name Copeland because her last name's Christian, right? In the household of God. She's our little sister. And, and we celebrated her just like we celebrate all who are baptized in, in, in the faith. You know, we Methodists believe 
But it doesn't matter the amount of water. It doesn't matter how the water is applied. It doesn't even matter the age of the one being baptized because the symbol is the same. It's God's grace shared with you, offered to you, before you ever say, I want it. I choose it. It's mine. So here we are today. In the midst of this study on baptism, in the midst of us uh, embracing the redemptive ritual of baptism, and the, the ninth question I want to ask, does baptism save us? Let us be clear that we do not believe that baptism is a saving act. Now, now some denominations and faiths do believe it's a saving act, and you actually can't go to heaven unless you're baptized. But, but we in, 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 in the Methodist Church, United Methodist Church, we believe that baptism is a symbol. It's a sign act. It points to salvation. It points to God's grace. It, it causes us to embrace God's grace in a very real way. Salvation is a precious gift that is given at God's initiative. And we are called to claim it. Baptism is a means of grace of God's forgiveness that we receive before we ever accept it. Now, before I go on, I want to call up a a photo back there, Chris. I want that photo of the Jordan River. Well, one before that. And hold that one till the end. All right, do you have it? There it is. You know, in January, I was privileged to go with um, some members of our church and some members of Highland Park Church. Barbara Markham was our fearless leader, and we went to the Holy Land. And I'm so glad that we did because it was just a few weeks later that we weren't going anywhere. And we got to experience the Holy Land in January. And, and there were some among us that wanted to be baptized. Actually, there was one, and he's in the congregation today. <laughs> and let me tell you something. In January, you know how that old spiritual says, the Jordan River is chilly and cold. Hallelujah. It is chilly and cold in January. And yet, uh, this, this photo reminds me of a very special act. Shannon Watson, who's here, I'd done his mother's funeral his father's funeral, and, um, and, and he wanted to remember his baptism in the Jordan River by immersion. So we went into the Jordan, and it was such a moving experience, I think for him, I know for me, and for all of the, um, the community of faith in our group who were there on the banks of the Jordan River, who were the congregation watching, it was moving to all. And so my final point is that we, what we are doing with, uh, what, what are you doing with your baptism? That's the question. Are we remembering our baptism? You know, some of us can't cognitively remember our baptism. We can't go back there because maybe we were baptized as infants and we really can't remember our baptism. But we can remember our baptism. Every time someone's baptized, we remember what baptism is about. 
and we remember what baptism is about for, for me, for you. We, we remember that unifying, uh, we are one in, in Christ. We're one through baptism. We remember all the truth that that, um, that speaks to. We, we remember that it doesn't matter if we were baptized as infants or adults or youth. It doesn't matter whether we had water sprinkled on our heads or poured on our heads or we went all the way under the water. It, it doesn't matter what our, 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 um, our strong health opinions are, our political persuasions are, our background or our culture. It doesn't matter. We're one in Christ and we remember that God's forgiveness is available to all. It's initiated to all. And baptism and the remembering of our baptism is again claiming it for ourselves. How about that last photo? Some of you are in the room. As we stood on the banks of the Jordan River after seeing one immersed in remembering baptism, we all touched the water. We all remembered our baptism. And now, hear these words of the ritual. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? You can say, I do. And do you accept the freedom and power that God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? If you do, say, I do. And do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in His grace, and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to all people of all ages, nations, and races, and if you do, say, I do. It's good to be back together, sisters and brothers in Christ. It's good to remember our baptism. Amen.